everybody, episode 10. Sitting down. Jackson stayed the night at my house last night on his way to yet another charity auction. Yep, another auction. Got a benefit for an organization in Western Montana. I think this is my last one of the year. My final hurrah. Anyway, it's a good, it's a good organization. Excited to go help them raise some funds. We're coming up into winter here. Our last episode, you were talking about your your little diesel heater for your sleeping cab. All right. And I've just been thinking about cold weather coming and diesel, the diesel tractors, vehicles that I have getting prepared for winter with the diesel. It seems like I always don't prepare myself early enough and it hits overnight. And let me let me backtrack just for a second with this episode. I want to give everyone a heads up on this. Mm-hmm. We've been getting some emails, asking some questions. We've also been getting some news articles sent to us. I don't know how heavy this podcast is going to be on past history stories. This one might be a little bit more discussing some current events and just some opinions we have and speculation, probably a lot of misinformation. <laughs> hey, misinformation is, it evolves as time goes on. So, so we just have a, some things we kind of want to talk about. So this episode will probably feel a little bit different than some of the ones we've done previously, but it's some stuff that we wanted to cover and kind of talk about, maybe rant about, I don't know. We'll see where it goes, yeah. but but we do have a, a few subjects. But anyway, I want to come back to prepping for winter and it's a diesel treatment in your trucks. And just diesel engines in general, they're not, they're not cold. They're not really cold weather friendly. They're not as simple as a gas engine when it comes to the cold. I mean, for instance, my wife coming from Southern California, first off, I don't think she realized or knew the difference much between a diesel vehicle and a, a gas vehicle let alone understanding that a gas vehicle doesn't need the same care taken in, in sub-zero weather. So I think give a little background on for listeners that might not know or listeners that don't deal with the freezing temperatures that we do here. And then also maybe some of the evolution you have made in the products that you use mm. for, your, for your diesel stuff. Because I know that you kind of come to some products that you feel pretty comfortable with yeah yeah for sure my limited experience just with tractors and a diesel pickup i, I feel like i should keep my products to myself until the said company springs with the sponsorship <laughs> right? I'm, like, well, I'm not gonna promote this no. <laughs> so so diesels versus gases so for for those of you that are listening of course so obviously if you're listening driving truck if you're involved in agriculture this is this is nothing new to you but for those of you that aren't, in, in a nutshell, this is the basis of it. The way that gasoline engines work is that gas explodes in your engine in the chamber through an electrical spark initially. Diesel engines run on compression. So to get diesel to ignite, like when, let's just talk when you first go start your car, okay? You go start a gas engine, it sparks, that lights the gas. That's why they fire up just immediately, bang, and they're going. Diesel engines run on compression. So that's what causes the diesel to, you know, get rolling. There's no, there's no spark plugs. There's no igniters. There's nothing that causes the diesel to, to burn other than an unbelievable amount of pressure and air, air and pressure slamming together. And so because of that, diesels are generally harder to start. They take a little more effort. Modern diesels have gotten way better than old diesels, but by and large, ideal and old diesel, you know, all my stuff's older. It's not modern. So 
So because of these different techniques or these different, not techniques, but the way these motors are engineered, diesels are harder to run in the wintertime. They're harder to start. They need to be kept really warm, which is when you, you see that you see some vehicles plugged in sometimes that's because they're keeping the engine warm so that when you do go to start it, that compression of that diesel, it'll happen. It'll happen easier if that makes sense, because it's warm. The engine's warm. It's a nice environment. Whereas if everything's just ice cold, you got to turn it over and wow, 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 wow. And then, you know, eventually it'll warm up enough to, to fire. But another thing about diesel is that diesel it doesn't freeze, but it, it does something that we call gel. It will gel up. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't turn into like gel. When you hear diesel gels up, it's not like a cup of jello, you know, that you slosh out. But in the, in the diesel, it has basically, when it gets cold, it will become waxy. The little particles in the fuel will get cold and get waxy. And they don't flow very well. So when that diesel goes into your fuel system, it has these little wax particles from the cold. And I'm trying to keep this pretty basic, but it'll it'll get plugged up in the papers of your fuel filter, the little filter papers, and then no diesel will flow. And you refer to that as being gelled up, and you're and you're stuck. So they do create they do create fuel treatments that you can put in your diesel that keep it from gelling up. It's an anti-gel product. There's a ton of them out there. There's, I mean, there's house and there's power service and there's, there's a whole pile of them out there. And it always seems to catch you off guard the first time that, that it gets cold. And we're not quite there yet. I think most standard diesel's good down to about 20 degrees, 25 degrees without any worry. But as it starts to dip below that at night, you need to start paying attention. Up north, up here in the northern tier of the United States, they treat the diesel to a degree at the plant. So you go to fuel up, you know, uptown, they've put treatment in it as a standard practice to kind of help those of us that may forget or because you know it's going to be cold for months up here they just do it as kind of a convenience but, but, times, but usually that's not in the the depth of winter even that is usually not enough correct you got to add extra that's, to it yep that's when you got to really be smart and and stay ahead of it because the, the problem is once you gel up your engine stops and so if you're in a situation where you're you're out and about whether it's in a in a pickup or in a semi and you're far and away, it's, let's say it's 10 below zero and your engine gels up, it shuts off. Now, as soon as that engine's off, all of a sudden there's no way to heat it up and it's going to get colder and colder and colder and colder. So you don't have a lot of time to, to fix the problem. And it can get, it can get very, very stressful out on the road. I've only, only had it happen one time and it wasn't actually gelling up. I just had a, a bad fuel filter, but even the fuel filter being bad, not gelled, but just had some water and was plugged in an old Peterbilt cab over. It was nasty cold and it, it died on me and I was hauling cows. So that just adds to the stress level, you know, thankfully I had carried a, you know, another fuel filter, which is something you all should do by the way, especially in the wintertime, carry a spare fuel filter in your, in your sleeper. And not just the fuel filter, some, some, the, the ranch. Yeah. The, the <laughs> filter, the ranch. And also I learned, as well, carry a jug of diesel so that you have diesel to fill that 
that new filter up with because you need to fill it when you put it back on. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an important thing, something to not just look and go, okay, I think I know how to do it. It might be worth doing it a few times when it's sunny out and warm because when it happens in winter, it's different. It it's is. different because usually the ground is icy or snowy, so you're crawling under a truck mm-hmm. or crawling wherever. Everything you touch under the truck, oh, like so cold. like cold metal, is just like feel. I mean, it feels worse than touching ice. Right. So everything is accentuated, and then you just got the pressure of nothing's running. You've got a load, especially if it's live animals. Yep. So, yep. Not just carrying it and thinking what to do, but actually running through the process a few times so when it happens you just know right what to do know right where the filter is even yeah and and it does it sounds it might sound silly but honestly a lot of these wintertime things it's so worth and when that's what you started this whole episode with was it's going to be getting cold there's stuff i gotta think about doing around here for the equipment and this is very worthwhile thing to do if you're a trucker is Make sure you've got a couple fuel filters. Make sure you got your fuel, your filter wrench. Make sure you know how to change a fuel filter. No, just be prepared because you're you're spot on. Everything just when it happens, you're just like no, 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 no. And when you're and you know because your truck for it just kind of starts to lose power, and you're like no. And then when you just know, like when it happens, you're like no. Doesn't matter how much I in my mind tell myself it's not happening. You're gelling up, you're going down, and it's nasty cold. It happened to me over uh, by Bozeman. I was west of Bozeman, Montana, and, ugh, and it was it was the wind was blowing twenty miles an hour, and I got I spilled diesel all over, so I had diesel all over my hands, and then was working the ranch, and the air, just it was so cold and nasty. But got it done. Had the stuff to you know to fix it up, and when we got rolling. You mentioned about products, so the ones that I historically have known as house mm-hmm. and the, the one that comes in the little they have the emergency treatment oh, power service power service yeah the, when i was in the oil fields in north dakota those seemed to be the big two that everyone was using yeah just my truck gelled up with both of those did it and i'm not saying their product is bad because that's what everyone over there was using and they were but i i it was more probably my error but when i moved back to montana I'm getting in there, went into the the local farm supply store, and there was a product called Arctic Extreme. I don't know if you've heard of that one. There was a trucking company that had been based out of this area for, for years, Oakley's. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what they said Oakley's had used forever. And so I tried that, and I never had issues with Arctic Extreme. Huh. And then you discovered your favorite diesel products. It's my favorite diesel products with the worst name. <laughs> And I'm just going to, I'm going to tease them about it now because we can. It's a company called Hot Shots Secret. I, I just, I wish they'd change the name to something a little cooler, like not so kind of cheesy. <laughs> like, what are you using? You're like, I'm using Hot Shots Secret. Don't tell anyone. I've found that their products, I got hooked on them because I use one of their regular diesel treatment products every day, just in my regular Phillips. And I have some cool stuff that I've gleaned from that that maybe I'll share later if you know down the line if, if things work out but they have a, a winter product and I can't even remember what they what they call it but it's their their winter treatment and I've used it and have never had it fail me it's worked really well and it and it has that that other treatment that 
helps your mileage. Usually when you treat your diesel in the wintertime, you, you're going to lose fuel mileage because you're adding this other stuff and it loses some of its performance. But that, pro- that product is called Hotshot Secret Diesel Winter Anti-Gel. Oh, well, that's pretty basic. Pretty basic. I remember when you first got going with this Hotshot Secret diesel treatment, there were some some equipment, farm equipment that had been having some issues. Some of your mm-hmm. trucks were had some things and you started using that diesel treatment and it really helped. And then you told me about the, the winter anti-gel. You said it's the diesel treatment, but they also add the anti-gel. So you're still getting, you don't need to keep adding the diesel treatment. This is included in it. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're, you're, you're not losing any performance benefits by treating your, your diesel, which which like, and, and here's the thing, and I know truckers are very serious about their products and what they like, they like. Like, for example, house. You couldn't pay me to use house in my semi. <laughs> and there, I know right now there's people out there that are going, I use house and it's never let me down and, you know, on and on. And that, and if it's, if it works for you under the conditions you run in, keep using it. Don't switch. If something's working, don't change it. If it doesn't need to be messed with, don't mess with it. So that's fine. Have you used house and had bad results? Yeah, 100%. You used it, treated it, and just fell on my face. Every, you didn't even make it out of the ranch. Every time I've used house, I've gelled up yeah. 100% of the times. But they have the guarantee that they'll come tow they'll you come tow if you, you gel up. In the heat of the battle, we were hauling cattle to, to town, to the, from the ranch to town, and it gelled up. We ended up having to haul all our cows with a horse trailer to Lewistown. Oh. It was when we were cutting the herd down, and it was like 20 below, and I treated the snot out of it. Oh yeah, dad, it'll run. I got it plugged in, treated, treated. No, didn't even, didn't even make it out of the driveway. Couldn't even get backed up to the chute. So that was my experience. So obviously. Similar to mine. <laughs> was it? Similar to mine. Every tractor or diesel pickup that I've used housing, I've gelled. And it's baffled me because people that use it are crazy for it. Crazy for it. Yeah. And they have, they, they have that guarantee right on their label, I believe, that says yeah. if you gel up, they'll come tow you. And they put mountains of it. I mean, they make these giant pyramids in all the truck stops every winter, like this display pyramid of just gallons and gallons of house. <laughs> and that's fine. And I know, I even know a couple of Montana guys that use it. And that's why I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you quit using it because if it works, don't take my advice. Do what's good for you. Got a, got a car hauling buddy, Motor City Pete from Detroit. And he uses it religiously and we tease all the time about it. He always sends me videos of him pouring it in, you know, <laughs> like, nope. But I mean, <laughs> if it works in your area and it, just, just do it. I've had, see, then here's where you and I have had different experiences with power service. I've used power service for a long time before I switched to hotshot and it worked really well for me. I didn't have really any troubles as long as I treated it while it was nice. And before I was in any kind of a danger zone, worked great. But I like this hot shot better because of the performance it, it seems to give my truck. But but you use power service and same as house. I did. It didn't work well for me. Yeah. Again, I I two strikes against two <laughs> very reputable, right. well used stuff. I'm going to say it's probably something I'm doing wrong. But I don't know how wrong I am when I look at the back of the label and it says for this many gallons, use this many ounces. There's a YouTube video out where this, he's a guy that kind of tests, I can't remember his channel name. I should have looked it up, but he just does different little tests. Like he'll go out and buy like three little engines and test three different oils. You know, which one lubricates the best by basically 
you know, draining the oil out of them after he puts these different brands of oil in and see how long they run before they seize up. He did a thing with all these different treatments where he, he treated to the recommended dosage and then put them in a freezer. Granted, a freezer is way colder, I think, in a controlled environment than going down the road. But anyway, that's out there. The results were, I mean, people are going nuts in the comments because like house comes out just like a total frozen brick, you know, <laughs> power service. And it was just very varying. And, you know, he just did it for people to watch, take what you want from it. But Hotshot did the best, but I was already using it before I came across that, that video. So I think the takeaway from this is if you're using something and it works for you, don't change. Don't change. Do you know what the old timers used to do? Like old timers? And some still do today. They park their diesel truck for the winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they built a shop. I tell you what, having a shop, you guys, before you spend a dollar to shine your trucks, before you spend anything to have them chicken lighted, before you put a visor on your truck, before you do anything, save all your money to buy you a small heated space that your semi can fit into because of all the things that I've ever done putting together my scrappy little shop so that I can park my semi in it in the wintertime is the biggest game changer of my life. Far and away greater than any winter heater treatment is just having a spot where it can thaw out. You can de-ice and you can go onto the road knowing everything is thawed out for each trip. But the old timers would put gasoline into their diesel tank. So for example, if you filled up your, say you filled up your 130 gallon diesel tanks, they would put a gallon of gasoline into that diesel and gasoline will keep diesel from gelling. It just, whatever it does, I don't have no idea scientifically, but keeps it from gelling. And then there's guys that were like, no, no, it makes it really dry. The gasoline will ruin your injectors. Well, then the old timers would overcome that by putting a quart of two stroke oil. Like for a two stroke gas mix, they dump a quart of oil in each tank. So they make like this witch's brew they put the gas in to keep it from gelling. Then they put the oil in to lubricate it so it doesn't hurt anything. And it's kind of some cool old school stuff. I remember as a kid with dad's truck, you know, always plugged in, but there were times it wouldn't start right. you know, in the cold winter. And I, and it's, I'm trying to think, I think they're, they look like a little mini jet engine. Yeah. yeah. Are they gas in they're those? Propane. propane. Yeah. They run on propane. So they just be, attaching tarps or whatever they could down <laughs> off of the semi to try and get a wind free zone and then just be blasting those those heaters little heaters under there trying to warm the engine up to just get the thing to fire and <laughs> yeah i had to do that that same truck that that gelled up to get it going eventually i got a piece of stovepipe you know round stovepipe and then put a 90 degree elbow on the end of it so I'd have my, cause you're always worried about open flame heat. You know, you don't want to actually burn something with open flame. So all I had was a weed burner, like a propane tank, mm. with a weed burner yep. flame thing, you know? And I put the weed burner into that stovepipe and shot it in about six feet and then made a 90 right under my oil pan. So it would, and then same thing, put straw bales around the, my truck. And so it just shoot heat up no flame just pure heat and then it would go up through your hood and kind of circulate and about six hours of doing that finally got it to start but you gotta do what you gotta do what's worked well for me like i have a skid steer that had gelled up and big snowstorm so we we're all drifted in i needed the snowblower on it uh -huh. 
I got out there and I was actually trying to get the fuel filter to warm up a little bit. Okay. And I, this is just me figuring out maybe this will work, but I got my wife's hair dryer. Oh, yeah. You know, and I just kind of cut my hands around it and I did that for about an hour and a half and I don't think it worked at all. <laughs> it didn't work? Really? I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, a hair dryer. Don't use a hair dryer to warm your engine up. It's not, <laughs> not quite the output, <laughs> is it? You actually, I'm glad you teased about that because you brought up a good point that if your filter does gel up, so say it gels, it's cold, real cold one day, you go to crank it, it fires up, runs for a minute, and then it dies. That means it gelled up. And let's say the next day it warms up to 40 degrees. You go out and start your pickup. It'll run, but you need to change your fuel filter. Anytime it gels up, you got to change it. It'll run, but it's it's somewhat permanently clogged once those papers get waxed up yeah, they just don't do the same yeah, you know not the same again let me finish this recap then <laughs> if you have something that works for you continue to use it obviously if you if you are struggling you know there are some other products that jackson and i have both had success with yeah myself out. personally arctic extreme mm-hmm. and then i switched from that to that hotshot secret per your recommendation and i have had no issues actually why i like that hotshot secret the best is because it, if you remember when you were a kid, maybe you had vitamins, you had a big, a big liquid container of vitamins and you squeezed it and it had a little chamber on the top that filled oh, up yes, just the yeah, amount of yeah, dosage or like, yeah, yeah, or yeah. like act mouth rinse yeah, does it still. Stuff. Well, these hotshot secrets. Now you probably with a semi, you're probably dumping big amounts into huge tanks, but for your truck or tractor, this hotshot secret comes with that fluid container and you just squeeze it and it'll fill up. The exact the amount you put, the dosage you put in your truck, <laughs> so you're not having to, not having to squeeze some out and then look and try and gauge on the on the actual. Yeah, you never know side of the the package. So that's that's one of the big things I love about the hot shot secret is that dude, fill it, squeeze it, and fill it up. Yeah, really easy to <laughs> dose with the hot shot secret. So well done there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good marketing. Oh, so uh, you know, one thing I want to touch on. I got an email recently. From Christopher Ivy. Christopher's in, out of Virginia. Christopher, thank you for listening. This is a question more for Jackson. Christopher's basically saying, I'm just looking over this email here. I want to get to the part. He, he writes to Jackson, I'm curious to hear how you got to where you haul so many different kinds of trailers. He says, obviously, there are seasons when stuff is better than others. Like you mentioned, the fall run. You know, we talked about the fall run is big for cattle. For him, he says household goods is very busy in the summer, but falls way off and the rates go down for the rest of the year looking for other things to haul to maximize revenue throughout the year. He'd love to hear Jackson how how you do this. So we do need to come back to your story, Jackson, somewhat your your background. But I think we we left where you talked about that Frankenstein truck. You were mostly just hauling cattle and you have expanded from there greatly. But yeah, it's a good question. Okay, this is good. This is good because a lot of people deal with this. The trucking world, it runs in cycles. There's very few trucking things that are just constant, steady. It never changes. It's always this. The loads never go away. They're, they're the same volume, the same amount, and it's steady. That's very rare. And when you do have something like that in the trucking world, because it's so consistent and steady, the rates for that, that job or that gig are typically not going to be real good because, I mean... Why would it be good? They give plentiful loads every week of the year, year round, all the time. 
So it's that's the trade-off. You know, you get you get to be steady for less money. Or you can you know they talk about the gig economy. That's like a thing now they talk about gig jobs like doing Uber or what are some of these DoorDash and they call them little like gig that like gig things that you do, right? So in the trucking world it's, it's similar. There's like these different gigs that are seasonal. So for me, I ended up falling into the livestock gig, as you know, because of my past. But for and for a time, the livestock gig in the fall was enough for me. Just doing the fall and piling up a little money, that was it. And then I ranched the rest of the year and that was good enough. As people started to realize I had a truck, I remember the first time I got a call from someone to haul hay. They're like, hey, there's a, there's like... X amount of loads of hay that need to, to move from here to here. And I can't find anyone to do it. Or I've heard you have a truck. Are you interested? And I didn't have a flatbed at the time, but I can tell you in about a week's time, I went and found a, a $3,000 flatbed and said, oh yeah, yeah, I got a flatbed for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I hauled hay and that was, you know, it was local. It was within Montana. This wasn't an over the road thing. So I'm hauling hay and and realizing, okay, well, cows haul in the fall, and this hay thing seems to be seems to be a, a springtime gig because people in the spring are realizing I don't quite have enough hay to get my cow herd through the winter. I need, you know, I need four loads of hay here. Another guy needs one load of hay. And I'm going, okay, so there's this little there's this little window in the spring where it appears that there's another little gig showing up that fits this little time frame. Great. Well, I'm not super busy in the spring. We're we're calving, but I can sneak off here and there. And then, you know, we work the summer. Well, then I start to realize again there's more hay opportunities later in the in the summer after the hay's put up. People wanting to get their, you know, their stuff moved off the field or whatever it may be. Start getting some phone calls again and going, okay, well, here's another gig. So I've realized now it makes a lot of sense where I live to to have a flatbed to haul hay. And then to have a cow trailer so that when it starts in the fall, I can do this this fall and then I can do some hay. And in a lot of people do cows and hay. They kind of go hand in hand because you can do cows over the road or locally. And then you can do hay, you know, locally. And with the drought, the last couple of years, we've done a lot of over the road hay hauling, which is ridiculous because it just costs so much. But as far as the question goes was before you go, yeah, move on there. I want to touch on a couple things here, I think to emphasize and to clarify, first off, these gig mm-hmm. jobs or gig hauling, you know, seasonally or, or, or parts of the year you're talking about, these are going to likely be unique to wherever you're living. Yeah. Unique yes. to where you're living. Mm-hmm. For instance, this email we got, he's talking about household goods. That probably doesn't exist where we live. No. Truck calling for household kids. <laughs> Whereas he said he lives, he's back East. Virginia. So a lot of, lot of moving in and out of the East coast. People are moving all the time. So the other thing is you, this has been a, uh, a big part of you, what you attribute to your success is someone called and said, can you haul hay? And you said, yes. And that didn't mean you went out and bought a brand new hay trailer. You went out and bought some that probably only got you three or four loads before it <laughs> yeah, started falling apart. But you've done this with your trucks, with mm-hmm. your cow trailers, with everything is, you know, it looks like there's an opportunity here for you. You're not going to say no to it, but you're not going to go all in financially. In fact, if it seems if you can't pay cash for it, 
you're not buying the trailer. Right. Right. You know, and then you, you end up getting enough work from this first flatbed generating enough income. Now that you can buy it something that, you know, more reliable hauls, more, you know, whatever. So a couple of things I wanted to point out with you, the, when you're talking about these gigs, these are unique to where you live. Mm-hmm. Also, you're going to have to invest some money to take advantage of these, but you never jumped in with a huge investment. You, Right. Whereas some, some people do, and that's a common mistake is, okay, let's do it. Let's go. I'm buying, a, buying this, buying that. And say the gig just doesn't turn out. Well, mm, now you're stuck with this piece of equipment that I've got an example of this right now. <laughs> I'm going through, you know, we feed cattle at the ranch. And I was, uh, came across a guy that said, we have this certain feed product up in Northern Montana that we can't get rid of. It's a dust. It's almost like a powder. It's, it's this powder that's created from when they process a grain. And it actually has, it's not just dust from the grain. It actually has, you know, powder from when they break this grain. There's some, some powder left over from the breakage and from the processing. And he goes, we can't, it's, it's this great feed product, has great feed value. We can't get anyone to come take it. No one will take it. We literally are paying a local with his dump truck to haul it to the landfill. And of course, I'm going, what? Like, there's such a business opportunity here for, for somebody. It's a feed product and you're dumping it, just throwing it away? And he goes, yeah, well, the problem is it's so light. It's just this huge, fluffy product and it's super light. And, you know, you, you bring a dump truck, you can get like 5,000 pounds of it in a dump truck is all. So he goes, you know, if someone could get a trailer, they could haul a large amount of this product you know, you could just haul it out of here like crazy. And I mean, it's literally just nonstop all, all that you could take in. And we're basically giving it away most of the year. Sometimes we'll we'll charge a few dollars for it when there's a little demand, but otherwise just free feed. So the wheels start turning for me and I'm going, what if I start bringing this down to the ranch, start using it for cow feed, start, and it's good natural feed, you know? So I, I, I do some research and I realized that I could buy a walking floor trailer, which is basically, it would look to the naked eye. It would just, it would look like a van trailer, like people use going down the highway, just the white van box trailers that you see everywhere. Except for this, this trailer has a special floor that moves and basically has a way of conveying and dumping whatever's in the trailer out onto the ground. And, but it's so tall and big and square, it has huge capacity. So I'm like, I got this. So I tell him, I'm like, hey, I found a trailer that I can haul huge amounts of this with. Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So I go and I buy this trailer. And to my credit, I didn't buy a, a new trailer. I bought the best trailer I could find for the least amount of money. Had some value to it. <laughs> <laughs> and I went all the way out to Pennsylvania. I, I found a, a tanker that needed to go to Ohio. So I hooked onto a, a tanker and got paid to drive to Ohio. And dropped it off. And then I went over into Pennsylvania and I hooked onto this walking floor trailer and I brought it home. And another cool thing about this is I could haul wood chips. And a lot of people around our area need wood chips for bedding. So I'm here we go. Start hauling some wood chips a little bit here and there. Ultimately thinking this would be a great gig for Freddie, who's 11 right now, but I'm going, he gets into high school. This would be a great gig for him to just deliver product locally around the area. But the whole point was buying this for hauling this this powder product and uh, guess how many loads of powder i've hauled with it exactly zero not a single one 
I've had it for three years. I've never hauled a single load. Never. And I'm like, hey man, what happened? I what happened to the landfill and all this? And oh, and he just kind of skirted around it. And I think in the end, he was just kind of what's the word where he's just really projecting that they had all these needs and just really didn't because he wanted to be covered and have a way to make sure he gets rid of this product. And so here I, I feel like I kind of made him put the money where the mouth was, but there was no money. <laughs> so, so now I have this trailer and, and I've used it for some other stuff around, you know, moved a few households with it <laughs> for family, <laughs> hauled some wood chips to the ranch and to a few other people and to some dairies. But anyway, that goes to your point that you brought up that, don't go all in on something that you don't really know potentially what it's going to be yet because it may fall through and you don't want to be on the hook with a $30,000 trailer sitting there useless that you stare at every time you get home. So anyway, that's, that was the deal with the hay thing. And then once I figured out the hay works and I'm like, okay, this is a flow that fits. Yeah. So then I upgraded trailers and I, I got something that, you know, was much, much nicer, but still, you know, not new, but nicer. And now hay is became a regular part of my deal. And actually through the hay hauling, I'll just tell you this. So I had a customer that I was hauling hay for, developed a good relationship for. In fact, he's the one that he said, do you have a hay trailer? And I said, yes, before I had a hay trailer. Turned out to be a, you know, a great career long customer and, and continues to be a great business relationship. But one day he goes, hey, I'm building a feedlot for my cows. And there's these feedlot these feed bunks that I really want, they seem to be a little stronger. They're precast concrete feed bunks. And he says, they're out in South Dakota and I want to, I've got like a dozen loads I need hauled to my feedlot because we're building this big new facility. So can you go get them? Sure. Of course. You always say yes to the load. So I go to South Dakota and it just so happened that the days that I kept going over to South Dakota were just these horrible horrible winter blizzard roads closed type of snowstorm just living up to that montana south dakota wintertime stereotype and finally after after several loads of this the guy that owns the concrete plant troy vanderboom says hey i can't help but notice you keep hauling in these and there's just this terrible weather they can't need these that bad that you have to haul in these snowstorms do you and I said, no, no. I said, well, why are you out here in this weather? Because they're having to load me in the blizzard too. Like, it's not fun for them. And I said, oh, I just, it's the only time slot that I have available and I just have to get it done. Oh, okay. I said, hey, why don't you come, come meet me in my office after we're done here? I got something I want to run by you. Of course, I'm excited because I'm like, oh, it must be some opportunity. And I'm just, anytime a business opportunity comes up, you just start, the wheels start turning, you start yeah. running numbers. So what's this going to be? So I go sit down in his office. He goes, I've got this deal where I haul toilets. If you follow on YouTube, you've seen the toilets. We just hauled one two videos ago. We took one and dumped it on a lake out, in, out on Lake Michigan, on an island on Lake Michigan, rather. Anyway, he goes, I haul these toilets and they go all over the United States. They're big precast, concrete, forest service type, permanent toilets we've set in the ground and they're there forever. He goes, but when I get to where I'm going, it's always a little sketchy. It's never like, drop it on the side of the highway and leave it there and we'll haul it up the mountain to the end of the world. He goes, I need guys that 
can get out over the road and run down the highway, run to New York State from South Dakota, can run to Texas, can run to California, to the top of the Sierras. But when we get there, I really need someone that's not like a highway princess that is careful, that can take care of stuff and not tumble down the mountainside. And of course, stars in my eyes. Oh, yeah. That's, that's totally me. Like, I am your man. And he picked all this up just because he's like, well, he's out here in this blizzard doing this thing. But the, the point of that is not to toot my horn, but rather to, to just to point out that you always keep your ear to the ground. And when any, you just got to watch what's around you, what's in your area, what kind of manufacturing is going on in your area. If you, live in a, if you live in a farming area, there's a good chance that there's a fertilizer gig where in the, in the springtime when they're planting, there's a massive amount of fertilizer that needs to come up. I've got some friends in Minnesota that haul hydrus. They, you know, they use that. And there's a, there's a rush where they're like, we need all the tankers that we can possibly get to run anhydrous back and forth. Pays crazy money because it only lasts for this short window. Same with fertilizer run. It's like, it's these things, but you wouldn't know if you didn't just pause and go, okay, what's in my area? There's farming here. There's a lumber mill down the road. What kind of opportunities does that, you know, does that give you? You got to do a little homework. You got to get out your, even sometimes when I'm flatbedding, I'll get out my satellite map on a, on a nearby town that I'm next to and go, okay, do they have, is there any kind of facility there that I can see on the satellite map? Oh, look here, here's some kind of manufacturing place. You can tell there, there's some steels piled up out there. Call them up. Hey, do you guys have any trucking needs? I'm, I'm in your town and looking to go wherever. Do you, and they might say no. They probably will say no. We're good. But you really got to think outside the box and think about what's in your area. You've also done, I guess we'll call this a gig, holiday time for UPS. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's, yeah, exactly. So that's, they just need extra, extra drivers. At- they call it peak season. It's basically from Black Friday, you know, which isn't that right after Thanksgiving? Yeah, I think so. I think so. There's Cyber Monday and Black Friday and Red Thursday, and I, I'm like, I don't know <laughs> all the stuff. But of course, with the online shopping craze, now everything's online, and there's essentially two companies that deliver everything. Essentially, one and a half companies. I feel like UPS gets the bulk of it, FedEx gets a lot too. I've gigged for both companies now from Thanksgiving until Christmas. They're looking for guys that just have a truck that will come and hook on and just run trailers back and forth for, you know, five days a week till Christmas, six days a week till Christmas on certain routes. And it's all over the United States. It's not just in Montana where they need this done. Montana's tough because the winter time I gigged for FedEx last winter going from Billings, Montana to Spokane, Washington, and I will never do it again. It was a disaster. It was just a, it was a stress disaster it was a physical disaster it was a financial disaster it was it was not good so i'm crossing that route i'd go somewhere else for fedex they paid good but not not that run it had a couple mountain passes so it wasn't the fedex it was a problem it was the route the route man oh yeah snow and ice and chains and roads closed and yeah but yeah anyway so to answer that question you 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 just look up what else is in your area what might you be able to hook your truck onto to just cover some loads for six weeks or eight weeks? I know in Virginia, there's a cattle run that runs cattle from Virginia to the Midwest, same as we have, different time of year. 
but they have a cattle run as well all into Nebraska. I mean, and it's a, it's a rush. It's a six week, two month rush off the East coast. Never done it myself, but mm. I know it's out there. Mm. So hauling these toilets, you've been all over, had some experiences. <laughs> I think we should get Troy on here sometime. He, I, I'm so a, we're talking experiences uh, where it's one way in where you can't turn around where they're having to put your, your trailer on a crane and 360 in it for you so, to getting on barges and yeah. crossing lakes on barges. I mean, yeah. And that was, that was the worst. So it was kind of a combination and Troy and I laugh about it now, but it was a combination of my overzealous nature to please and be the go-to guy, no matter what that allowed Troy to probably ask for me to do things that you wouldn't even be able to ask another person to do because they'd go absolutely not definitely not going in there with the semi but because i was so gung-ho and like i gotta go let's do this i got talked in and and this was the last one where we finally we both after it happened and was done we looked at each other and went we probably shouldn't have done that (laughs) so we shouldn't have we done it we're good now we don't need to do it again (laughs) right Right. And, and so since then now, and we don't anymore. So we, or we don't get in those situations. So he had a toilet going to upstate New York. And at the time I was driving a 1995 Freightliner cab over that I just finished. I don't want to say restoring, but getting back to roadworthy. I repainted it, put a clutch in it, put a rear end in it, you know, did some things. And I was essentially out putting this truck through its paces for the summer, making sure it was, you know, trustworthy. So I take this truck on a trip to upstate New York and I can't remember the name of the lakes, but they're these super deep blue water mountain lakes and way upstate New York. And we get there and I arrive and uh, he's there with his truck. He has a, a straight truck basically that has a crane on the back of it. So he's much shorter. He can get around about anywhere, but I'm in the full truck trailer combo. So we get there and he goes, uh, let's go for a walk down there. It's going to go down there. And he just kind of points and you just see a a little, like a two track road go into the trees and just disappear over the hill. So we walk down there, you know, it's a mile walk down the hill. We get down there where we're going. We check it out. We scope it out. And he's, he's looking around and I'm looking around and I'm in my head to myself going, there's no way that I I just can't, it's not even turn around. So how can I go in here if there's no place to turn around? It's not going to happen. There's no loop. There's nothing. It's, It's a dead end to the bottom of this, this deal. And so uh, we're walking back up out of there and he's pretty quiet and we're just kind of huffing and puffing up this hill. And he goes, so you probably be all right, huh? <laughs> and, I, and I look at him and he's just stone sober, serious. And I'm like, oh crap. And so then my, I revert to, is he testing me? Does he, is he serious? Like he can't, he can't. I mean, I've done some stuff for him, but he can't be serious. There's no way. And all this just processes real fast in your mind. I look back at him again. He's still just climbing up the hill. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. No problem. And now I look back and I just laugh because that was young trucker, you know, Jackson. So I'm, I'm like, if he's testing me, at least we'll get to the top. And he'll be like, no, I'm teasing. Let's put these on my truck and I'll take them down one piece at a time. So we get up there and all right, follow me down. And I'm like, Okay, it wasn't a test. It's happening. Okay. So we go down the hill. And I mean, this is a first gear with your Jake brakes creep down just real easy down this hill. So steep down in there. I have no idea what percent grade, but just 
so steep. And so we crawl down, we get down into the bottom and we offload the toilets. And I'm like, okay, so what, what's your plan for me to get out now? And what, what are we going to do? <laughs> he goes, well, I thought we'd have room to just spin the trailer, but I, I can tell we, I don't know. It's going to be tight. I'm like, what do you mean spin the trailer? He goes, well, I'm going to have you unhook your truck and I'm going to use my crane and we're going to lift your trailer up and we'll spin it around in the air, 180 degrees and set it back down. And I think there's enough room. You can just wiggle your truck around. Uh, another Austin Powers reference. <laughs> there's a spot where he's got a golf cart or something oh. in the hallway <laughs> trying to do like a, a turnaround. And he basically just gets stuck sideways. And that's kind of what I did with my semi on that little road, just back and forth like a 560 point turn <laughs> like literally so i finally get the truck turned around and we rig the trailer up and we go to lift it and spin it and there's not enough room to spin the trailer around so, so i'm like okay but i'm still playing along i'm like i'm gonna be the guy you know i'm, I'm not gonna act all wigged out and frustrated so they get a chainsaw out and we cut some trees down we had to cut trees down to make a big enough circle in this little landing zone for this, this outhouse so that they could spin my trailer around. And it still ended up so tight that they actually busted off my, they're called glad hands. That's what your airlines hook up to on the front of your trailer. They stick out the front of your trailer about three inches. And it was so tight that when they spun around between these two trees, it actually busted my glad hands off my trailer, which creates a problem. Actually, no, it was the blue glad hand. So I didn't need, I didn't need my brakes. I still had my supply air. So without your supplier, you can't release the brakes on your trailer. Your brakes are locked. So anyway, we, we get hooked back up and I start, he's like, all right, I'm going to set this toilet up and you can head back up and go on your way. All right. Sounds good, man. <laughs> so I start going up the hill. I don't make it 10 feet and I spin out because it's so steep and loose rocks and gravel. <laughs> I can't even go. And there's no way in now because I'm blocking the road. Thankfully, they had had a backhoe down there because they had to dig a hole to put this septic tank into. So they have to get the backhoe and rig it up to the back of my trailer. And the backhoe has to push me. And it's having trouble. It's kind of spinning. And I'm spinning. And we just claw. One hand in front of the other. Up for this mile or whatever, up this hill, up to the top. And it was one of those where you get up to the top and you're like, I don't even want to look at anything. I don't want to know what kind of damage I've done to my trailer. I don't, I just, let's just, let's get out of here. <laughs> but after that, you know, Troy come up and I think, I think that was probably a little too much for us, wasn't it? I said, man, I didn't want to tap. I did. I wasn't going to tap out, man. He's like, you had to, you're going to pass me out. I was not tapping. Like, you choked me out. <laughs> so so I, that's what we did and I passed and, and ever since then when we get in those kind of places I, we unload onto his truck and haul the pieces in one at a time but yeah the, uh, the toilet gig it, it takes you far and wide you do how many of those a year do you do you think you know I'm now down to probably where I'm doing four four or so a year for Troy and I'd like to do more it, it's fun content for YouTube it's fun to film and it's it's one of those things that's a different adventure every time because like I just got back last week, we went up clear to the top of the Sierra Nevadas to the highest, actually I had to climb over the highest road peak in California, Carson Summit. It's like, it's like right at 9,000 feet. And it's fun because it's a challenge. It's one of those anymore. I've kind of, 
I'm not trying to sound stupid or whatever, but it's kind of like you've been there, done that. Like with Cal Holland, I know the deal, kind of been there, done it. This is one of those jobs where you're still like, okay, how are we getting in here? What mm. kind of a situation am I going to find myself in? You know, 60 miles back in the in the mountains of California or or whatever. So so I enjoy it for that. But but because I'm so busy with other stuff, I've kind of necked it down to you know, yeah, I'd say three to four rounds a year now. How fun. Yeah. Yeah. And have you released your YouTube video of this, of this last one? Not, maybe not your last one, but the one where you were on that, cause you're on a barge, the aren't barge, you? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you guys, you really, if you haven't, you should go check it out on wild, wild west. I think it was two. I just released a new video the other day, but it was the one before that. The thumbnail is my cab over with this toilet on the back on a barge and it's just blue water all around. You can't see it, but. It's, it's quite a, quite a thing. So, so we had to go to Lake Michigan, charter a private barge, drive the semi onto the barge. And there wasn't, I mean, six inches to spare on each end of the barge. And then they ferried me across to this island. And then we had to drive off onto the island without an official dock. It's just kind of, they had some rocks and gravel piled up. And then they're like, just once you start, the barge guy's like, don't, don't stop. Don't ease off of here. Just go. You're like, <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, man, here we go. And, and, you know, of course it's just documents doing it and kind of what we went through and, and some stuff, but yeah, it's a fun gig. It's one that I'm, I'm happy to have found And I just found it from just being a yes guy and, you know, being willing to go and do. All right. Well, Chris Ivy, maybe that answers a little bit of what you, what you wrote about there. I should give him a few ideas anyway. Think about that. Reach out again if you, if you need something. Some more clarification, whatnot. We're we're about out of time here. You had sent me an article this week, a couple articles actually that someone had sent to you. California has been on a tear as of late, going electric, everything. Yeah. And this was an article that was talking about banning diesel diesel trucks in California. So I had I had pulled up this article and and this is banning, not not limiting, restricting, and, and already California has basically restricted it so if you're i've lost track of the dates but more or less if you're if your truck's over 10 years old you're not even allowed to license it in california so they've been on on a tear but you're saying a a ban on diesel trucks yeah so los angeles times i'm just going to read a few things on here we're going to come back to this a little more in detail because Mm -hmm. this is a i realize this is a, a short article that obviously has bias but the actual proposal in California is almost 300 pages long. So I'm sure there's, there's a little more than a headline there. (laughs) Yeah. So I I would like to come back to this after had some time to look over that 300 pages and actually see what it's saying. But California regulators, and I have, I have tried to figure out who California regulators are. I can't quite come to who, what that means. (laughs) I don't know if it's elected officials, appointed officials, it's similar to experts when you read experts say you're like who but california regulators are saying they have a moral obligation to ban the sale of diesel rigs by 2040 and it would say that by 2035 medium to heavy duty trucks entering ports and rail yards must be zero emissions and the state and local government's fleet have to be so by 2027 so zero emissions means electric vehicle yeah and it just goes on to say that they're you know, the, the diesel pollution is such that they believe that doing this is going to save the world, essentially. Huh. 
<laughs> I mean, but I, it goes into a lot of things. I mean, even to the, they go on saying that they have managed to connect diesel vehicles as being racist. Oh, I saw that. I read that um, at the end of the whole end of the article boils down to this racist angle. I, so weird. It's a jump to me, but they're saying lower income communities, which are generally communities of color, they face disproportionate health impacts from trucking. Because and, trucks generally drive in those areas. That's where a lot of the warehousing. Well, yeah, because a lot of lower incomes are built around more industrial or, or situated around more industrial. So, yep. so they, they have managed to, in quotes in this article, decades of racist and classist practices, including redlining and siding decisions have concentrated heavy duty vehicle and freight activities in these communities. I can see how people living in these areas could be affected by it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, yeah, I'm calling diesel vehicles essentially racist. I, it's always well, that's used so much anymore. It's the problem to, is yeah. that racism is an extremely horrible thing, right? But when everything is labeled racist, it it really dilutes the power of a word, which yeah. is a horrible thing. Right. But anyway, I I want to. That's about all I want to do on that right now. But I do want to talk about some the statistics of, of the, the energy needs to, to power electric vehicles in California, there's statistics all over the place. You're, you're, you're telling me some from last year that you read. Yeah. I've just recent ones from just the end of August. There's a a guy named Michael Schellenberger in California. He's run, he has run for governor in the past. He, I think he's running again. He's a very politically progressive guy. Historically, he's, been disenfranchised with some of the progressive things going on in California. But one of the things he really extremely pushes for is more nuclear power. And so he, he just put out a bunch of statistics that he gleaned from the actual state of California. And he says right now, out of all of the vehicles in California, like just under 2% are electric. So California wants all of their vehicles to be electric. And this, this was this stat he's giving is not including diesel trucks. And this is just, just vehicles, vehicles, passenger vehicles. So with the state's estimate for the whole state to be electric, they would need 17 gigawatts of additional electricity than they're currently producing in California. California has one nuclear power plant, which they're trying to shut down. Mm -hmm. This power plant produces 2.3 gigawatts of power. And they need seven. They need 17 gigawatts. This one nuclear plant produces 2.3. Okay. And it's on the way out. They're, they're wanting, trying you know, to get it out. So when you extrapolate the, the, the stats that the California Energy Commission is calculating, they need 29. Oh, let's actually, let me, I'm reading this here. So to power 30 million more electric vehicles, it would require about 17 more gigawatts of power. Okay. Which I just said. Yep. So they they need fifteen more on top of the one nuclear. So this is assuming just electric vehicles and yeah. no increases in population, no increase in electrical use for anything else, just vehicles. Just the car thing. Okay. So in order for California to have sufficient electricity to power thirty million new electric vehicles, which is their goal, it would need to build twenty new full size nuclear plants. Oh man. Okay. Ugh. But of course, they say, no, we're going to do this with sustainable energy, wind and solar. So if they want to do this with wind and solar. Well, he went through and does this. He, okay, I want to hear it. California would need to come up with 
370 times more land solar. So right now, whatever they have under solar panels, they would need to do 370 times more land under solar panels to reach that energy requirement just for electric vehicles. If it was under wind, they'd need 421 times more land under wind power. Have you ever driven from Palm Springs into Los Angeles and you go through that that wind, the, Mm -hmm. the, the windmill area? Yeah. That is like nothing you've ever seen. <laughs> it's like a space thing, yeah. There and it's not just there, but everything they have 421 times more land usage wind. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Now probably not gonna happen with either one of those right. because the environmental impact, particularly to birds, wouldn't work. You're gonna run into some real environmentalist issues. This is the this is the conundrum for environmentalists. It's like which one's more important? Do you kill animals or do you <laughs> do you pollute? I don't know. So that's crazy. California doesn't want to do nuclear plants, but they would need over 20 nuclear plants to meet the demand just for the electric vehicles. And now they're talking about adding the diesel vehicles on on top of it. Just driving in, and I, I this is total, just total speculation, but when you drive in California, what percentage of vehicle mass on the highway would you say is trucks versus passenger vehicles? I mean, when you're out there, it feels like you know, a third of the rigs on the, the total things on the road are semis. You know, and the other problem with solar is it doesn't work at night. Right. When does everyone charge their electric vehicles? At night. At night. So the only way to do it is to create mind-blowing battery banks to store this. So when I was, after I graduated dental school and I was working as a dentist in California for a bit, I, I went back to a local college and took a, a course on solar, solar energy. Oh. It, just, it just interests me idea to produce you know yeah. energy from the sun especially just at a very level the yeah. ability to have a few solar panels to power different things around your property and at that point and i don't know if california is still doing this my guess would be yes is they're producing a bunch of solar electricity during the day they don't have a place to store it so they have to sell it i'm, I'm sorry they have to pay other states to take it now this was a few years ago okay so other states didn't need it California couldn't do anything with this. So other states would say, well, yeah, if you pay us, we'll take it huh. during the day. Okay. But at night, when they had a huge energy, not a surplus, but a deficit. Deficit. That's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. They were having to buy electricity from other states. <laughs> they were paying other states to take their excess and they were buying electricity back. The big problem with, with solar energy, solar power is it doesn't work at night. Because yeah. you don't have sun and just the way our, elect- our electrical grids are. So uh, one of the things that has just happened this, uh, this past month in California, and this was, uh, this was, uh, you can actually go read this. Let me, let me pull up where it is. Because California is having such energy problems right now, they had to maintain in Oakland, I believe, an energy plant, an electricity plant that runs on jet fuel. Oh no. Which extremely, extremely polluting. And they, I think they reset this contract up through 2023 i may be incorrect on that but i believe that's what it is and so this this plant produces a lot of pollution burning jet fuel for electricity Mm -hmm. and it happens to be set right down in a very poor area of oakland oh all as the la times article put it communities of color yeah so we're gonna just bring that whole circle that they're I guess we're going to say the state's being racist by burning jet LA fuel. Times. According to the LA Times, whoever was quoted in there that yeah. these diesel trucks, you know, this pollution is a racist deal, I guess. And here's, here's the other thing that nobody brings up. And this, when you talk about 
we should do a little more research in this. I would love to know more fully. Diesel emissions have lowered with the advent of DEF fluid, diesel exhaust fluid. I mean, to where just working in your shop, you you fire up an old diesel in your truck shop, you're smoked out of there pretty quick. You run a DEF truck in your shop, I don't know what's in the air exactly. I, again, I don't understand <laughs> all that. But you don't get smoked out. You're not like, oh, I'm going to die. My eyes are watering. And there's no credit ever given for any of that. Like, wow, diesel trucks have literally cut their emissions to like, and you never hear anyone talk about it. And kind of the whole point of this is we had a listener send this to us. Very interesting thinking yeah. that this can is a, a realistic option. And based off of the electricity requirements, it's not realistic right now. And I'd like to go through again that proposal. It's like 300 some pages. I'd like to, to read through that more and, and see actually what is being proposed, what they're saying. Is this just, is this independent drivers? Is this only new sales or is, are they going to ultimately ban everything? I don't know. I want to read through that. Yeah. But the whole point is that these crazy things that are being thrown out, you know, we're going to, you know, climate change, save the world, pollution, you know, all the, all the buzzwords. You know, it sounds really good, but but when you actually look at what is required, there's no infrastructure even remotely, remotely close close to being able to support it. But I think, and we're going to come into some other stuff, but, you know, all the wheelers out there, people driving trucks, people that are supported by the trucks on the road, which is 100% of the American population, needs to start being aware of what's being proposed out there and understanding what the effects that's going to be on you. And it's, and we're, it's not, it's not anti-electric, like electric stuff is cool. That's the other thing that's frustrating now is there's no middle ground. Like it's become so polarizing now that like, if you like anything electric, you're some crazy far left loon. And if you're, you know, if you don't like electric, we're, it's like, it's pushed the extreme so far. I like electric tool, like some of this cordless tool technology that's coming out. It's amazing. Even the electric semis that they're building have so much power in certain applications. But to just get so overzealous and go, you know, we're mandating this by this date, just all this stuff you're bringing up, it starts to to make that a reality. Well, boy, the trucking industry sure gets regulated and regulated and regulated and regulated. Another way to phrase that is crapped on. Yeah. You could use an even more extreme word that actually (laughs) comes to mind. But I have said this to you, man, if truck drivers could unite Mm -hmm. and say, we're not doing it. I don't know that there's anything that can't be controlled by truckers. Let me give you an example. Oh, a couple years ago, big ice storm in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Trucks could not get into Dallas for a very short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, remember this, yeah. A day and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. In hours, grocery stores were ghost towns. Nothing left in grocery stores. Sold out. People don't have food. People don't have water. People don't have anything because trucks can't get in for a few hours. You should have seen the rates they were offering on the boards to, to get trucks to just go pull loaded trailers into Dallas. It was outrageous because they just they needed trucks. I mean, these big population centers... Grocery stores have to have trucks in multiple times a day mm-hmm. to keep the grocery stores stocked. And when trucks don't come in and people know, and then people know stuff, I mean, they're gone. There's no food. Mm-hmm. There's no food. Right. 
And this, not just food, but everything that we function on is moved by semis. Could you imagine if semi drivers in some way were able to unite and say, you know, we, you know, well, let's just say electronic logbooks, mm-hmm. just for instance, we don't, this is harming our industry. It's harming our ability to, to function, to drive, to do this and that. It's also raising the cost of goods for consumers because now trucks are, you know, drivers are having to be on the road longer. You have to get paid for more downtime, whatever. Truckers unite and say, yeah, we're not going to drive until that is repealed. Now, remember Dallas, a few hours of no trucks had no food. Yeah. So if truck drivers shut down for, let's just say a week, over the course of your whole whole income for the year, if you don't work for a week, you're going to feel it. Negligible. You're, you're not, yeah. you're good to go, most right. likely. Yep. Yeah. If America doesn't run for a week, housewives aren't getting their Amazon packages for a week. <laughs> it's true. Ooh, watch out. <laughs> but, but also on, on the flip side is trucking is not something you can just bring in the National Guard to cover or just have people fill in. There's no way. It, you, can't, you can't just throw people who don't have experience driving trucks. I mean, imagine a truck driver with no experience trying to drive through San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Or New York City. Yeah. You know, I these mean, population Swift, centers. Swift does it every day. Look out, turns out for Swift. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, if somehow, if somehow truckers could, yeah. could unite in, in the things that are continually regulated against their interests, you know, these mandates that everything has to go electrical. I, I don't know that it'll happen because probably some of the big, the big trucking companies, it really embedded with government, the lobbying potential and whatnot. Yeah. But, you know, the more independent drivers, the, you know, people who, who are hurting from continual regulation, boy, there's a lot of, a lot of potential power there. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And a lot of, a lot of truckers will listen to that and just go, there's, it'll never happen. And right now, you know, I can understand that sentiment, but just imagine for a second, if it just, just let what Luke just said, just let that marinate for a minute. If there was, if there's a way, if, if truckers would, you know, get a little smarter about their business and be a little bit more financially free. A lot of them guys will say, well, I won't make my payments if I quit for a week this month. Well, fix your finances so that you can have the power to potentially affect some change for the industry. You know, it would, yeah, dream. I mean, you you dream about the potential power that likely never, ever happened, but it's, it is an interesting thought if, if there could be a, a uniting of all them and, so yeah, we're, we're just not going to, we don't like that regulation. I mean, how many of these mobile DOT guys are just pulling trucks over and harassing? And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we say, yeah, we're going to, we're done. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to subject to that anymore. We'll go ahead and just shut down for a week <laughs> until these guys, you know, job it, description is eliminated. And, and the thing is, you'd never get it to happen nationwide. That's true. But I mean, there's, if you very selectively chose where you were going to stop. And where you were going to slow down the truck flow, it would be pretty, you know, pretty. Ma- well, look what Canada did. I mean, that's a pretty good example. That was, you know, that that whole truck situation last winter. That it was taken very seriously. I mean, to where they were throwing them in jail and in a different deal up there. But yeah, change could definitely be affected. 
Well, anyway, we actually did get to a little bit of trucking stories today. Yeah, I guess we did, didn't we? (laughs) Well, you got to get on the road. I got to get some work done. So Instagram, steady at the wheel podcast, email steady at the wheel podcast at gmail.com. Yep. My Instagram is at shamanush, S-H-U-M-U-N-U-S-H. YouTube is wild, wild west. All right, guys, until next time. 